Thank you, Carl. Good morning, everybody. Before I dive into the message, I just want to put a plug in for the next series that we're going to do. Uh, it's going to be the next nine weeks, and it's about uh, Messianic prophecies, predictions, prophecies made in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus. And we look through a bunch of the prophecies, and we put them in nine different categories for the next nine weeks. So if you have a chance to uh, invite a, perhaps a Jewish friend or a friend, you can come and hear uh, how those prophecies were fulfilled. At Calvary, we've been trying to balance and you know, teach you the Old Testament, New Testament. So this is a good study that's coming up that's going to show how the two of them combine, that the Old Testament prophesied the coming of Jesus. So please uh, um, think hard about inviting somebody, and it's all leading up to Christmas. So believe it or not, we are thinking about Christmas. Yeah, wow. Spiritual gifts. This is the last in the series that we're doing. I kicked it off, uh, I think it was eight weeks ago. It's amazing how quickly time goes by. And I was thinking, you know, how do I sum up the message? How do I sum this up? And I thought, do I go back and do I review everything or do I just take a different track? And I personally didn't hear all the messages myself. So instead of adding confusion and trying to... to um, to add to what largely what Pastor Tim had spoken on, I just thought I'd take a different track today and just try to encourage and drive home the point that uh, we have spiritual gifts, each one of us, and that we need to function as a body, as a group, in order to get the most out of the series. So that's going to be kind of the tra uh, trajectory that I'll be taking. And um, so with that, I will try to get started. And if you've been, okay, it's Sunday morning, the clicker doesn't work. My spiritual gift is not operating the clicker. There we go. So in case you missed it or weren't here or were asleep or updating your Facebook page while we were talking, definition of a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability or natural talent given by God to every believer for the purpose of serving others under the direction of the Holy Spirit. And the key points there is that it is an ability given by God to believers for the purpose of serving others, and all this needs to be done while we are under the control of the Holy Spirit. So that is what the definition of a spiritual gift is. Now, part of it implied in there is that each one of us has a spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4 says, as each one has received a special gift. So we each have at least one spiritual gift. And truth be known, we probably all have many. There we go. Um, you probably can't read this, but what this is, is on the left side of the graph are the list of the spiritual gifts. And these blue bars are um, a level of giftedness that people have in different areas. And as you can see, this, this person, I don't know if this was Sam or Jana, somebody who's really spiritual, they scored really high on a lot of these gifts. And like I said, over here, these are the list of the gifts. And so we're going to be taking a test, and we're going to be trying to quantify or score our spiritual gifts. But typically what I've seen in the past, and you'll probably see it today in yourself, is you probably have like maybe two or three that are relatively high compared to the other ones. But we all probably have some mixture of, of all of the other gifts. And if you look at this, think of it as my gifts are going to be different than yours. And 
Carl's are different than Tim's and whatnot. So think of this as kind of like your spiritual DNA. It's going to be unique to you. So that's what we're kind of going to be heading towards. So in addition to having our one spiritual gift, at least one, uh, what are we supposed to do with them? Well, we need to employ or use or exercise it in serving one another as good stewards. The key word there is good stewards. A steward is somebody who is a manager of a household or a trustee. A steward is responsible for someone else's property. God has given us his gifts, and we are to be responsible in how we use it. We will give an account for how we use his gifts. And how are we to use them? We're to use them for the common good. And I shared this verse when I opened the the series about two months ago, and I'm doing it in the message translation today. But the spiritual gifts are to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. And as I said, this is from the message. It's a very good translation of the Bible. And I don't know if you knew this week, Gene Peterson, who was the guy who wrote the message, he passed away this week. So uh, there will not be a sequel to the message. That's a little joke. You don't, we're not going to add a sequel to the Bible. But if you're ever reading the Bible and have trouble understanding it, go to the message. It does a very good job of explaining it. But the purpose here is we are to be moving rhythmically and easily with each other. We're going to be in community with one another. And that's the best way that we can use our spiritual gifts is when we are together. Now, when I talk about being in a community, I'm talking about being actively involved in people's, in one another's lives. Just meeting here on Sunday morning is not being in community. It's, it's a nice time to get together, but it's not what it means to be in community. Now, a lot of people um, like to be by themselves. We have this stubborn, independent American culture that we have, and it really goes against the flow of the Bible. But if you think you can do things by yourself, I need to advise you that that's not the way God uh, wants us to do it, because if you look in the Bible, in the New Testament, there's over 30, maybe 40 different what we call one another commands. For example, there's some of them right here. Love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, serve one another. The key word is one another, and you can't do that by yourself. We are encouraged by God in his word to be in community with each other. And one of the things I wanted to do today to help try to drive this home, because I think it's one of the best illustrations out there, and you may have, I don't know, this may be a little bit silly, but um, the best illustration that I could come up with for showing what life and community should be like is um, the honeybee. Uh, as you know, I'm a beekeeper, and I wrote the, my book about 12 years ago. And the book is about, it starts off with each chapter talks about something about the bees, and then it transitions to talking about something similar in the church. Like, for example, one of the jobs that bees do in a hive is, are the nurse bees. And the nurse bees are responsible for helping the larva, the, the eggs hatch into a larva. And the larvae need to be fed so they can develop into a mature bee. So in a church, um, we have people that come to faith in Christ. They're, they're newbies, so to speak, and uh, we need to teach them and encourage them and train them. Or even in the children's ministry, we need to help our children to grow and mature so that they can become productive members of the church. 
But overall, the bees do everything they do for the common good. They work together in community in the same way a church should. So I'll just run through a couple gifts, or excuse me, abilities or jobs that the bees do, just to help build a thought process of what to do. There's house cleaning bees, all right, like the name implies. Um, the bees, as soon as they're born, come out of that cell. They clean up the cell that they came from so that that cell can be used for something else. If there's any debris in the, in the hive, they take it out. There's a subcategory, another subcategory of house cleaning bees called, oops, called mortuary bees or undertaker bees. Because there's tens of thousands of bees in a hive, there's always some bee is dying. So what these undertaker bees will do is they will take the bee and they will remove it from the hive so that the hive will remain a clean uh, place. And they do that for the health of the hive. And a little piece of trivia, there is only one place on earth that is cleaner than a beehive. It's an operating room. The bees have a very, very sterile environment and it's for their own protection to ward off diseases. So the house cleaning bees are very, very important. I'd mentioned the nurse bees who feed the larvae so that the larvae can grow up to be mature bees. There's the bees who make wax. They secrete wax from glands, and there's another bees that come along, and they collect that, and they form those hexagonal cells on the comb that's necessary uh, structure for the, for the hive. There's scouting bees. This seems a little odd, but there's bees that go out and they look for nectar, they look for pollen, uh, they look for water. And when they find it, they come back to the hive and they communicate it to uh, the foraging bees. Now the way they communicate is one, is one of the most fascinating things in nature is they do a dance. And somehow in that dance it communicates to the other members of the hive, go this far in this direction and you'll find food, you'll find water, whatever. So the foraging bees go out, they collect it, they bring it back, and when they get back to the hive, there's bees that will, take, that will unload that and they will store it for future use. And there's another job that the bees do, it's called uh, the guard bees, and like the name implies, they are there to protect the hive from intruders. And when the bees are attacked or someone's threatening their hive, is the guard bees set off, a, literally set off an alarm and all the bees go to battle stations to get ready to protect their home. Somebody's phone's ringing. And of course there's the queen. Everybody thinks the queen is in charge. Actually, the queen is nothing more than an egg-laying machine. She will lay between one and 2,000 eggs a day. And uh, they need that many because the bees only live about six to eight weeks in the summertime. They literally... Um, they work themselves to death. So in order to keep the population up, the queen lays that many eggs because the more bees there are in a hive, the more honey that they can collect and store. So the bees, this is a, a frame, uh, thousands of bees. There's, this is a frame. There's probably 20 of these frames in the hive. So you can see there's a lot of uh, uh, bees. And you can tell that this person's a real beekeeper. Um, they have no gloves on. Uh, I am not manly enough. I have to wear gloves because I'm afraid to get stung. But anyway, lots of bees doing their thing. And uh, again, they're all doing something for the, the good of the hive. They're very selfless creatures, and they literally work themselves to death. And this is just a picture of a bee. probably doesn't mean anything to you, but um, 
Looking at this bee, I can tell that this bee is a young bee because of all of the fuzz that it has on its body. And bees, like some people, when they get older, they go bald. And also you can tell this is a young bee because how the wings are in such good shape. As the bees get older, and literally, as I said, they work themselves to death, their wings are frayed, they become tattered, and they literally wear out. So the bees live solely for the purpose of their brothers and sisters in the hive. They, live it, they do it for the common good. Now, in the summertime, I said they live six to eight weeks. In the wintertime, like about this time of the year onward, they live about three to six months because they're not working as hard. They're going into winter. And it's interesting because these bees have never seen winter before, but yet they know what to do. It gets cold, and they all huddle together in a cluster. Now, you may wonder why they do that. Well, it's cold, but in the middle of this cluster, they can keep the temperature at about 95 degrees. In the dead of winter, they can do that. And the reason they do that, again, it's all for the common good, is in the middle of that cluster, the queen bee is laying eggs, and the temperature needs to be warm enough to incubate those eggs and for the larvae to grow so that there will always be bees being born so they can replace the bees um, that pass away. And the bees, they do this. On the inside of the cluster, like I said, it's 95 degrees, but on the outside of this cluster, it's about the same temperature as the outside air temperature. So the bees on the outside could freeze to death, but they know to work their way to the inside so they can get warm, and the bees on the inside come to the outside. And they do this constant rotation in the process, they're generating heat, but they're also keeping warm so they don't, they don't freeze to death. So it's a very fascinating process that they do. Again, it's all for the survival of the entire colony. They do what they do um, for the common good. Now, sometimes when they go in the winter, they run out of food. And they will pass what food they have around equally. And scientists say that when they do run out of food and they do starve to death, that the bees all die about the same time. Um, all right, I skipped over that. But, um, this is a picture of a part of a cluster of bees. They're all dead. But you can see how, to the very end, they were holding that formation to try to keep warm. And they didn't break it. Nobody was hoarding any honey anywhere. Uh, they, had what they, they shared what they had, and they all died about the same time. So when you think about it, it's really quite touching. They live together, they work together, and uh, sometimes they even die together. And when I think of that, I just think that I wish the body of Christ had that kind of commitment to one another, that we would be so devoted to one another and each other's well-being that that would be first and foremost um, in our thoughts. But I think the bees provide a very good example of what it means to be in community. And Tim Keller, to bring it back to a spiritual note, um, he said, if we, are in God's, if we were made in God's image, which we are, and God is three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then at the, our fundamental core, we are made for community. We are meant to be together. We're meant to do life together. So I hope that people, if you have an independent streak, I hope that you're willing to, to reconsider it after the message today. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. They work best together when we're in community with each other. So what's the ultimate overall purpose of the gifts? 
again, 1 Peter 4 says, so that in all things God may be glorified. We're here to glorify God. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, how is God glorified? Well, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, he says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit is what gives God glory. Now, Jesus did not go on to define what fruit is, but if you look at the New Testament and you study it, um, there's probably others, but I broke it down into at least three categories of, of fruit. One is internal, and these are character qualities. Uh, perhaps you remember the series that we did on the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, there's nine of them. I'll put my, test myself. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all character qualities that the Holy Spirit works within us. And as we work together, as we encourage each other, hopefully these characteristics will become more and more prevalent in our lives and we will become more and more like Christ. So those are internal characteristics. That's an internal fruit. An external fruit is simply good works or serving one another. You can, instead of focusing on yourself or your quality characters, you're, you're working and helping someone else. You're, it's external to you. And the third fruit, we have internal, external, and I'm going to, I call it eternal fruit. And that is sharing the gospel. The Bible tells us that there's three things that last forever. God, his word, and men's and women's souls. We cannot affect the first two, but we can have an impact on the third by making an effort to be able to effectively and efficiently communicate the message of Christ to those who don't know. So when we as a group work together and we do life together, and we exercise our gifts together, we're going to be demonstrating and producing these kinds of fruit uh, in our midst, individually and as collectively. And the point of it all is, is that we get glorified. There's a, excuse me, God gets glorified, not us. So we all have spiritual gifts, and maybe some of you are already using them, which is great, and you're comfortable using your gifts. So maybe... I need to challenge you a little bit, and I think Pastor Tim had talked about this during some of his messages, was that a lot of the gifts, even though we may not have that gift, we're still commanded uh, to do those gifts. For example, such as evangelism, we're all to share our faith, we're all to serve one another, Uh, showing mercy, you know, helping those people who are suffering or struggling. Those are all things that we can do. It may not be comfortable for us, but we need to be willing to step out of our comfort zone uh, to do those things. And when I started this series, I was talking about a football team, how there's special abilities on a football team, and they all need to be done at the right, by the right people in the right position, you know, because every football player has a unique talent, a unique, a unique gift, kind of like us. We have our unique spiritual gifts. And when the players do their, their, when they exercise their specialty, the team generally does very well. But occasionally, players need to step out of the roles to do something a little bit different. And they do this not, not to be funny, not to draw attention to themselves, but sometimes they need to do it for the benefit of the whole team. And there's a video, I want uh, if Ray can show it or James can show it, and I think you're going to recognize the play, but I just want you to see how a couple players did something they normally don't do. 
Does everybody remember that? All right. Here's all the diagnosing. Nick Foles, he, he's stepping up to the line. They snap the ball to the running back. He gives it to the receiver, and the receiver throws it to Nick Foles as a touchdown. Right? So there's two players. The receiver, who normally catches the ball, was the one who threw the ball. And the quarterback, who normally catches the, or throws the ball, he was the one that caught the ball. Now imagine, tens of millions of people were watching these guys do this. Now had those guys not been willing to step out of their comfort zone, we would have missed what is probably the most epic play in Super Bowl history. All right? But when you watch this play, everybody always follows where the ball goes. I want you to watch, play the video again, and I'm going to put the pointer on somebody. I want you to watch what this player does. Right, we're, we're, watch the second half of this. All right, here he is down here. here. This is a different angle. Watch what this player does. Does anybody know what his name was? I don't know. I'm not an Eagles fan. Thank you, James. I'll take your word for it. Did anybody talk about him as a result of the play? Did he get any credit? Did he get any praise? Did what he did, did I say that correctly? Did it make a difference? All right, when, when we talk about people in a church, usually the people up front get all the attention, whether it's the pastor, the teacher, or the worship leaders, but there's many, many people in the background that make absolutely vital contributions to the church. We may not see it, we may not appreciate it, but just like that player, all he did was run to the middle of the field. And when he did that, he took the defender with him so there was nobody in the area to interfere with Nick Foles to catch that pass. All right, he was an unsung hero in that play. I mean, he could have sat there and just stood there and said, well, I'm not going to get the ball, what do I care, right? But he did his job, and as a result, the whole team benefited. So for, the, for us... I just want to point out is that, you know, no matter what your gift is, no matter where you use it, it's very, very important. But as far as stepping out of roles, like Nick Foles did, he was a receiver in that play, um, God has a way of using people in the most unlikely ways to accomplish great things for himself. Moses had a speaking problem, but yet he confronted Pharaoh and led the Israelites out of Egypt. Rahab was a prostitute, but somehow, in God's wisdom, he used her to help the Israelites defeat the city of Jericho. Gideon was a coward, hiding in a wine press, and yet God used him to defeat the enemies of Israel. David was a simple shepherd, and yet God made him king of his people and allowed him to be in the lineage of Christ. Peter was a simple, uneducated fisherman, yet on Pentecost, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he preached and 3,000 people were saved. Paul was an uncompromising Pharisee who hated Christians and wanted to destroy the faith, yet he met Jesus, and no one else in history perhaps has had more of an impact on spreading and establishing the gospel than the Apostle Paul. So please remember that God is more interested in your availability than your ability. He can supply the ability. He's given us gifts, but sometimes he asks us to step out of our roles, and he will provide for us in order to do great things for him and his kingdom. So following the service today, we're going to be having our fellowship time, then we're going to come back in here. 
We're going to take a test. Um, it's 200 short questions. I know that sounds like a lot. And when you're going to read the questions, it's, you're going to be assessing yourself. And you're going to score yourself from a zero to a five. A zero means no interest or no ability. And five means very interested or you have a lot of ability. And everywhere in between, one, two, three, four. So you read the question, do a quick assessment of yourself. It's you know, your, your gut reaction. Um, and put down the score. And then there's a way of adding up the scores to figure out what your gifts are. So if you take the test and you're all zeros, um, maybe we can have a talk and we can introduce you to Jesus. Um, if you score all fives on the test, we will have a talk with you and remind you that you are not Jesus. Okay? <laughs> so after the test, we're going to have a discussion about it and um, see what you think about it. And also, we want you to think about how you can use that gift here at Calvary or wherever uh, you may be serving the Lord. Okay? So uh, we hope you stand and uh, stick around for that. It's free. We have English and Korean. Um, I thought Carl or Brenda was going to make a joke about, well, if you could speak in tongues, you would know what the Korean... But I'm sorry. I'm just make, trying to be funny. That's not my spiritual gift. Sorry. Um, okay. Just to let you know, I did not forget you have two fill-ins on your bulletin. All right. I know you've already used the space to make your grocery list, but um, you can pull it out. And one of the things, these are two principles that apply to every message, to every series we do. And uh, usually I give you a sentence, we just put in a word, but I'm actually making you work and write a phrase today. So the final points of the message are, and this is from James chapter 1, and I want you to write down the whole thing. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. To be deluded means that you are deceived by false beliefs. Or someone who is delusional is someone who believes something that is contrary to reality. And what James is saying here is that if you come here and you think it's just good enough to hear a message, but you don't put it into practice, then you are deluded. You're delusional. If you just hear it and don't put it into practice, it's a complete waste of time. And the second point is, it's from Romans chapter 14. It says, So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We don't talk a whole lot about it, but one day, each and every one of us will stand before God. And we will answer for everything that he has given us. Our health, our time, our money, our abilities, everything. And we will, give an answer. we will have to answer to him, did we live our lives in a way that was honoring to him? 
So with every message that we do, these two points are in play, putting God's word into practice and also being mindful that one day you will have to give an account for what you do. I will too. And so as we go into this spiritual gift inventory test today, I want you to keep these thoughts in mind. Identify what your spiritual gift or gifts are and give it prayerful consideration how we can use those gifts here at Calvary to encourage each other, to build each other up, and so that this church can be an influence here in the Plymouth Meaning area for his kingdom. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come before you. We give you thanks.